Hola, 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 and welcome to Spanish Answers, a podcast that gives you unas yavitas claves as you unlock your Spanish language adventure. I'm your host, Sarah, with Language Answers, and today in episode 84, we are back, and it feels good to be back. Today, I'm going to give you a quick update before diving into spring-related vocabulary. More specifically, words and actions revolving around homesteading. For you gardeners out there, today's episode is for you. Plus, we at the beginning of our cultural tip on the Dominican Republic. Let's begin. Empecemos! So a quick update. Basically, welcome to the podcast and or blog 2023. To any new subscribers, Spanish Answers is a podcast and blog dedicated to diving deep into the Spanish language and exploring its related culture around the world. To all of my current listeners and readers, thank you so much for sticking around. My maternity leave has been wonderful and definitely needed. Adjusting to a newborn is always a challenge, but we finally achieved some form of normalcy-ish. And now we have a sweet little baby boy. We are so thankful for this little blessing from God. His older sister, despite some initial and sometimes current resentment, adores him, and it has been fun to watch the two of them interact. For this year, I have a lot of ideas for episodes and content, but really it all depends on what happens with this second child. After all, I thought I would be back in May, and it's already June. Sorry. I have found that the word that defines my husband and I is tidsoptimist. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly, but it is Swedish for one who is consistently late because they believe they have more time than they do. Literally, a time optimist. Perfect word, right? So I have hope that things will go according to plan, but also I'm trying to be realistic about what I can do with two young children. So for now, my basic plan for 2023 is to continue to produce an episode every other week. Instead of episodes coming out on Monday, though, they'll now be coming out on Wednesday. Why? Because with two kids, Mondays are catch-up days from the weekend, and I really want to do my best in producing episodes every two weeks. So Wednesdays seem to... Wednesdays seem like a better fit. And with all of that being said, if you have any suggestions, ideas, or requests for episodes and other content this year, please email me at contact at languageanswers.com. I would love to hear from you. And without further ado, let's begin our first episode of 2023. We are going to talk about homesteading vocabulary for the springtime. After all, another huge part as to why this podcast has taken so long to get started up again is that my husband and I have been working very hard on starting our own homestead. So what better topic to cover first than vocabulary related to my current major project? And of course, this begs the question, what is homesteading? So it is a growing movement here in the U.S. to raise more of one's own food and to do things from scratch, whether that be a few vegetables in a suburban backyard or raising livestock out in the country, from making one's own sourdough or cheese to learning how to do leatherworking. Don't confuse it with farming. Although similar, homesteading tends to be on a smaller scale. It's generally focused on providing enough food for the family with the potential to sell to others instead of the end goal being mainly commercial. It's viewed more as a lifestyle than as a profession, and many homesteaders have full-time jobs not related to agriculture or livestock. 
And if you'd like to check out some podcasts, Melissa K. Norris has an excellent one called Pioneering Today that is full of tips and tricks for homesteading. And then there is 40 Acres and a Full, which, although no longer running in the same format, was what first got my husband and I into this movement. And I will, of course, include the links in the show notes. While we don't have time to do an exhaustive list of the different homesteading terms and uses in this and the next episode, we'll cover two of the major tenets of homesteading, gardening and raising livestock. So while this originally was all going to be just one episode, I realized that, well, after I started to write the script, that there's just too much information to share around the different words we use for gardening. So I have broken it up into two parts. For today's episode, we'll cover the basic vocabulary for gardening, such as vegetables, fruits, and tools needed to get the job done. After all, you don't have to be a homesteader to enjoy gardening, and tis the season. So for this first episode, we will focus on gardening. And rather than just giving you a huge list of vocab, I'm going to try doing this in a paragraph slash story format ish. So if you're listening to the podcast, see if you can better understand the vocabulary when I read through it a second time minus the English translations. And if you're reading the blog, try reading through it a second time without looking at the translations. Planting the garden. We have created a rather large garden this year. In Nuestro Jardín, we are growing a lot of las verduras, including unos tomates for making tomato sauce or salsa de tomate, as well as el maíz, corn, los guisantes, peas, and red and green pimientos, bell peppers. Our zanahorias are nice and orange with their hojas de la zanahoria, or carrot tops, standing above the dirt like wobbly sentinels. We are using the Tres Hermanas, or Three Sisters, method for growing our maíz, los frijoles, beans, y las calabazas for baking pumpkin pie. We are also working on cultivando, growing, nuestra lechuga, lettuce, colorizada, kale, y el repollo, cabbage. Some people like to grow las patatas, potatoes, or batatas, with a B, sweet potatoes, in the ground, but we decide to plant las cebollas, onions, unos rábanos, radishes, and los ajos, garlic, instead. We're also trying our hand at cultivando la quinoa. We also really wanted to start growing some fruta, so we plantamos unos manzanos for las manzanas, the apples, and un melocotonero in the hopes of getting un melocotón, a peach. Someday, we hope to get un peral for las peras or pears, un cerezo for las cerezas, the cherries, or even un ciruelo for las ciruelas, plums. We have many fresas, strawberries, and unos saucos for las bayas del sauco, as elderberries are supposed to be great for your immune system. Cooked though, don't eat them raw unless you want a stomach ache. We are also starting with un frambueso for las frambuesas or raspberries. And we bought one that is ever-bearing, de cosecha perpetua, meaning it bears fruit twice a year. And we hope to add unos arándanos azules so we can enjoy blueberries. We also have unas zarzas, but las zarzamoras, blackberries, are ácidas, tart, instead of dulces, sweet. We also sembramos, sowed, many hierbas such as el romero, rosemary, el tomillo, thyme, la salvia, sage, el perejil, parsley, la albahaca, basil, 
la camomila or manzanilla, chamomile, y el cilantro. But don't worry, we also included some aguileñas, columbine flowers, las calendulas or maravillas, marigolds, and las lavandas, lavender, and las campanillas, morning glories, to add some beautiful flowers to the mix. We also have un rosal, a rosebush, and I hope to add unos tulipanes, tulips, and unas margaritas, daisies, in the future. So just a brief pause here as I'll talk a little bit about some notes, and then I'll read through that section again, but without the English translations. And I do hope you were able to spot the difference between the words for the trees or the bushes and then the fruit that they bear. And also please note that if a word is really evident as to what it means, either through context or just through how it sounds and how similar it is to English, I might not include the English translation. Anyways, starting with our first note. So basically, according to wordreference.com, in Central America, you might hear las calabazas or pumpkins instead referred to as el ayote. And then when it comes to patatas with a P, patatas, they also are called las papas in Latin America, las papas, not to be confused with el papa, the pope. And then when it comes to batatas with a B in Uruguay, they might call them los boniatos, whereas in Central America, they are los camotes. So at least those words are a little bit less similar, right? Patatas and batatas can be a little confusing, especially if you're just listening. Anyways, next we have un melocotonero, right? A peach tree. So in Latin America, these are called los durazneros, as the fruit is referred to as durazno instead of melocoton. So los durazneros and un durazno. Next, we have saucos, which is elderberry bushes, right? And you can, you might see them referred to as el sabuco or el sabugo with a G. So a C or a G, sabuco, sabugo. Then we've got the arandanos azules, so the blueberry plants. And in Mexico, the bush and the fruit are both referred to as las moras azules, las moras azules. But arandanos azules, I normally just hear it referred to as arandanos. And last, oh, almost lastly, we have las campanillas, so those morning glories. And in Argentina, they're called las campanitas. Now, our last note is not from word reference, but notice that I used the word we sowed. We also sembramos, sowed. The difference between sembrar and plantar is that you use sembrar when referring to directly sowing seed into the ground, whereas plantar means you plant seedlings, las plantulas, or saplings, los plantones, in the ground, or after the seeds, las semillas have a time to grow and develop. You can check out this article in Spanish by Mando Huerto, for a brief summary of the two options. And of course, you can find that link in the show notes. All right, so let's go ahead and reread that section again, but without the English translations or stopping for side notes. Planting the garden. We have created a rather large garden this year. In Nuestro Jardín, we are growing a lot of las verduras, including unos tomates for making salsa de tomate, as well as el maíz, los guisantes, and red and green pimientos. Our zanahorias are nice and orange with their hojas de la zanahoria standing above the dirt like wobbly sentinels. And we are using the tres hermanas method for growing our maíz, 
los frijoles y las calabazas. We are also working on cultivando nuestra lechuga, col rizada y el repollo. Now, some people like to grow las patatas or batatas in the ground, but we decided to plant las cebollas, unos rábanos, and los ajos instead. We are also trying our hand at cultivando la quinoa. We also really wanted to start growing some fruta, so we plantamos unos manzanos for las manzanas and un melocotonero in the hopes of getting un melocotón. Someday, we hope to get un peral for las peras, un cerezo for las cerezas, or even un ciruelo for las ciruelas. We have many fresas and unos saucos for las bayas del sauco, as elderberries are supposed to be great for your immune system. Cooked, though, don't eat them raw unless you want a stomachache. We are also starting with un frambueso for las frambuesas, and we bought one that is de cosecha perpetua, and hope to add unos arándanos azules so that we can enjoy the arándanos. We also have unas zarzas, but las zarzamoras are ácidas instead of dulces. Now, we also sembramos many hierbas, such as el romero, el tomillo, la salvia, el perejil, la albahaca, la camomila, o manzanilla, y el cilantro. But don't worry, we also included some aguileñas, las caléndulas, o maravillas, and las lavandas, and campanillas, to add some beautiful flowers to the mix. We also have un rosal, and I hope to add unos tulipanes and unas margaritas in the future. All right, so let's talk gardening tools. This one doesn't have any notes, so it'll just be a quick, straightforward read-through with the English translation, and then we'll read it again, but without the English translation. So see if you're able to catch the words on that second go-round. Now, while you definitely will want una azada, a hoe, to cavar o usar la azada, and una pala, a shovel, to palear the dirt. Una pala de jardinería, a trowel, is quite useful, as is un rastrillo, a rake. Desmalezar o escardar, weeding, is very important for your garden. And even if you cubres con mantillo, cover with mulch, your entire jardín, you will still have to remove the weeds. Now, there are several different terms for weeds, such as la maleza, or la mala hierba, el hierbajo, or my personal favorite because of how it sounds, el yuyo, <laughs> el yuyo, but I think maleza and mala hierba are the most often used terms. When we first started our garden, it was a bit easy to weed. We just used el arado cincel, or a tiller, to dig up all of the dirt. Now it is a little bit harder. Our ground is also very clay-like, tiene barro, so we hope to fertilizar con compost to improve it in the coming years. Besides fertilizing our plants, obviously we have to regar, water them every day with la manguera. And here are some other tasks we have had to complete. We had to endurecer las plantas, or harden the plants, before we could move any plantulas outside permanently. We created unos enrejados, trellises for the peas, which need to climb, and we put up una valla, a fence, around the garden to keep out los venados, the deer. So, let's try that again but without the translations. While you definitely will want una azada to cavar o usar la azada and una pala to palear the dirt, una pala de jardinería is quite useful, as is un rastrillo, and desmalezar o escaldar is very important for your garden, and even if you cubres con mantillo your entire jardín, you will still have to remove the weeds. 
Now, there are several different terms for wheat, such as la maleza or la mala hierba, el hierbajo, or my personal favorite, because of how it sounds, el yuyo. But I think maleza and mala hierba are the most often used terms. And when we first started our garden, it was a bit easy to weed. We just used el arrado cincel to dig up all of the dirt. Now it is a little bit harder. Our ground is also very clay-like, tiene barro, so we hope to fertilizar con compost to improve it in the coming years. Now, besides fertilizing our plants, obviously we have to regar them every day with la manguera. Here are some other tasks we have had to complete. We had to endurecer las plantas before we could move any plantulas outside permanently, and we created unos enrejados for the peas, which need to climb, and we put up una valla around the garden to keep out los venados. So are there any other garden terms you can think of? If so, please send me a note. And if you've already started your garden, I wish you all the best. Please let me know what you're growing and how it's going. So I will see you in two weeks to talk about homesteading part two, livestock. And now for our first cultural tip of the year, the Dominican Republic. Let's talk about some basic country facts. And remember, all of this I have gleaned from the oh-so-wonderful CIA World Factbook. Now, the country's official name is República Dominicana, or the Dominican Republic, and it gets this name from its capital city, which is Santo Domingo. Now, the island's size, because it is an island, ish, which we'll, we'll cover here in a minute, is 40,670 square kilometers. And according to the CIA World Factbook, this is just a bit more than twice the size of the state of New Jersey. And it is divided into 10 regiones, or regions. It is one of the islands in the Caribbean Sea, southeast of Cuba and Florida, and just west of Puerto Rico. It shares an island with Haiti, and it composes the eastern side. I think that's a little odd, but based on the island's history, that's just how things have turned out. So it, there is one large island, and then it is just divided in half between Haiti and Dominican Republic. Now, the government type is a presidential republic. So the executive branch is not accountable to the legislature, and the government is elected directly by the people. Now, the president is both head of state and chief of state, and as of August 2020, their president is Luis Rodolfo Abinader Corona. Both the president and the vice president are directly elected for four-year terms on the same ballot, and they have a bicameral national congress, el Congreso Nacional, made up of the Senate, Senado, which has 32 seats total, serving four-year terms, with 26 directly elected and six indirectly elected, according to the CIA World Factbook, and I quote, based upon province-wide party plurality votes for its candidates to the Chamber of Deputies, unquote. Yeah, whatever that means. Uh, and the Congreso Nacional also is made up of the House of Representatives, La Cámara de Diputados, which has 190 seats for four-year terms, with 178 directly elected by, quote, closed party list proportional representation vote using the Dijont method, unquote. Again, no idea what that is. But five are elected via nationwide constituency and seven directly elected by majority vote. Honestly, this is one of the more complicated-sounding election systems I've read about yet. The judicial branch has the Suprema Corte de Justicia, or the Supreme Court of Justice, which has at least 16 magistrates. But there's also the Constitutional Court, 
Tribunal Constitucional with 13 judges that came into being via constitutional amendment in 2010. All judges are appointed by the National Council of the Judiciary, which includes leaders from both the Senate and House of Representatives, the President, the Supreme Court's President, and a congressional representative. The Supreme Court has seven-year terms, and the Constitutional Court has nine-year terms. Religion-wise, the Dominican Republic is mainly Christian, with Roman Catholics at 44.3%, Evangelicals at 13%, and Protestant at 7.9%, at least as of 2018. The official language is Spanish, and their currency is the Dominican pesos, or the DOP. Now, a brief history here. It was previously known as Hispaniola, and the entire island was comprised of five Taino, the indigenous population, Taino chiefdoms. Christopher Columbus claimed the island for Spain in 1492, and the reason the island is split into two countries is that in 1697, Spain recognized French dominion on that part of the island, and it later became Haiti in 1804. Interestingly enough, the other half was called Santo Domingo, and despite trying to gain its own independence in 1821, it was conquered by the Haitians for 22 years. It didn't gain its own independence until 1844 when it became the Dominican Republic. And for some reason, they then voluntarily rejoined the Spanish Empire in 1861, only to then start a war to regain their independence from 1863 to 1865. So two years later. I really feel like I need to delve more into the history of this island because this is just mind boggling. I really want to know what all was going on with it splitting into Haiti and then Santo Domingo and then being conquered and then trying to join the Spanish Empire, but then starting a war for independence. Like, just what all was going on? It's fascinating. Anyways, since that time, they've had two dictators and a U.S. intervention due to civil war. There was a military coup that temporarily deposed an actually elected president. And since 1996, things have been, thankfully, a bit more stable with continuous elections. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. And please don't forget to check out the show notes for links to the resources used for this episode. If you would prefer to read an approximate transcription of today's episode, you can also visit the episode's blog. I would love to help you on your Spanish journey. So if you have any questions about today's episode or even just on Spanish culture or grammar, you can reach me at contact at languageanswers.com or visit the website for more information. I can also be contacted regarding my services for Spanish to English translation, English technical writing, editing, and content creation, or even language consultations and tutoring for you or your business. Remember, learning a language is a lifelong journey. So please, aprovechalo, disfrútalo, y compártelo. I'll see you in two weeks. Hasta luego!